So hello and welcome to the 29th episode of the Spotlight Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Century 21 sales representatives in Canada, where we discuss the hot topics and important news in the real estate industry. So I'm your host, Linus Killius, and with me as always is Aaron Richardson. Hey, Aaron. Hello, Linus. How are you? Oh, pretty good. So yeah. Aaron is, Aaron's a broker and general manager with Century 21 Heritage Group. Aaron has an extensive background in online marketing, technology, and customer service. I'm the head of business development at the real estate marketing company, Homania. So if you're listening to this show, there's a good chance you're in the real estate industry. Being in this industry, it's very likely that you or one of your clients have at some point considered investing in real estate. If your client asks you whether or not it's a good idea to invest in real estate, what's your answer? Being in sales is probably yes, but it shouldn't be so simple. There's a spectrum of real estate investments, and some are better suited to your client than others. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about the best ways to tackle real estate investment advice for your clients, profiling your client to come up with the best advice that's tailored specifically to them. Before we get into that, Happy New Year, Aaron. Yeah, Happy New Year, Linus. How are you? Oh, pretty good. How's, how, how's this year been looking for you so far? Uh, this year so far. Jeez, we're on the, on yeah, the fifth, like day. fifth day. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it was a good relaxing uh, holiday. Uh, I got to go to the Air, or the, uh, yeah, the Air Canada Centre see the, the uh, Canadians play. Oh, cool. Um, and I guess the gold medal game's tonight, so yeah. that'll be interesting. I'm pretty excited to watch that as well. So I'm going to be circling on my calendar. Unfortunately, when this goes up, people will probably be in the past. So hopefully yeah. we can say, you know, Canada won the gold, but who knows, I guess. We'll... <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be watching that game tonight. That's for sure. Yeah. All right, so let's just jump right into it, shall we? So if a client approaches you about investing in real estate, Aaron, what do you do? Where do you start? Because that's a loaded question for sure. Yeah. And you know what? It's... it's uh... And so many people just try and quickly, you know, think about the first thing that they can think of to make uh, you know, some money, you know, for the client. <laughs> oh, you know, you buy an income property or do this, do that. The best thing to do when anybody asks you a question like that, because it's really a loaded question, is to sit down and uh, and talk to them, find out some information about them. Basically, do a risk assessment, find out um, where they are in their life, where, where their finances are at, what sort of risk they want to take when it comes to putting some money into um, into an investment, uh, whether to divide it up because they've got lots of money or to make one big in, uh, investment and put all their money in one thing. Or, you know, you've got to really start, you've really got to ask them a lot of questions and figure out where they're at first. Is, is this the ever the case? I guess the thing is you're a salesperson, right? You obviously want to try and make money for yourself, but keep your client's best interests in mind as well. Um, is there ever a case where you say, you know what, Maybe real estate investment isn't the best way to go for you. I mean, that, that's probably the honest thing in some cases that you know might be the realistic situation too. Of course, I mean, you want to get good advice. Um, uh, somebody who's going to use you for the rest of their life. You're their, their you're their go-to for real estate in general. If it doesn't happen to be the right time, or real estate just doesn't have to be the right investment for them, of course, you're not going to give them that uh, um, that advice. But I, you know, personally, being in the industry, I don't know anybody I couldn't make some, hopefully, some uh, good decisions for when it comes to purchasing real estate. It's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity for them to, um, if they haven't purchased real estate in the past for investment, which they probably have, they have their own house, that's an investment, but um, if they're going to put any of their money towards uh, a different type of investment to diversify other than RSPs and mutual funds and all this sort of stuff, it's a, it's a great way to broaden your portfolio when it comes to investment. 
So if you ever have a client that, say, is maybe a bit more hesitant about getting into real estate investment and maybe they are the, the type of person that's more like, you know, I want to invest in, you know, more like you know, traditional routes for investing. Like what do you what do you typically tell to those people? Because, I mean, obviously we're in the real estate industry. We see real estate as a very solid investment, but maybe other, other people don't share those views, right? Like how would you convince them that this is maybe a solid way to go? Well, again, it goes down to that uh, that, that sit-down conversation with their portfolio and ask them the questions. Um, you know, what sort of investment? Uh, you know, in terms of dollar figures, do you have to to invest? Um, what investments are you already in? Um, asking them question. You know, questions like, okay, if you bought a pro- uh, property tomorrow and the market fell out, you know, is that going to bother you? Is it going to bother you? You made an investment to buy a, a purchase a property for five hundred thousand, and the market goes down to three hundred thousand in the next five years, and you're renting that out to somebody. Is that going to bother you? Um, and then we'll, you know, and see how that that question's answered. And and if they understand the long term goal, maybe is a twenty year investment, and it's going to go up eventually. Then you know you've got to be able to make sure that you tell them all the pitfalls of each type of investment you're going to suggest for them. Explain the different types of investments. And make sure that you tailor their um, purchase to their needs. I guess kind of what I was getting at is how would you convince someone that real estate investing is a good idea to if if, if right. they do have that kind of maybe barrier to this as well? Like, um, well, yeah, I mean, sorry, and, and I guess I didn't take it to the next level. So as soon as you have that information, you're able to then tailor your um, overcoming objection to, let's say, um, something that, uh, you know, they may have an objective uh, objection to it, or um, you may be able to really sell them on a specific type of investment, whether it be, let's say, a rental property for them, um, because you know their situation. I mean, to convince somebody to purchase a rental property um, that isn't ready to purchase a rental or, or you know, isn't uh, in a position where they can do that, it's not going to be a hard sell. But if you can tailor them because of the information you've got from that conversation, it's an easy sell, right? You can easily sell somebody on something that they're going to make a um, conservative, um, you know, a conservative investment with, let's say, lesser um, lesser risk because of their por- portfolio or their situation or just their stress levels, and uh, but still make a great gain in the future. And you can show them some numbers and and, and how how to obtain that, right? Yeah. Um, so we, we've kind of skirted around it a bit, but why don't we talk about the specific yeah. kinds of investments sure. that you tra- traditionally would recommend to clients in different situations? Yeah. Um, so do you want to maybe go over, like there's the two yeah. main ones we talked about off camera. Uh, do you want to maybe go over those and, and what sure. kind of client would be ideal for, for those situations as well? Yeah. So, I mean, t- typically, if and I'm going to go typical. So, and then we'll, we can talk about a little bit more about uh, different things that people obviously uh, uh, can invest in as well. But typically, when I sit down with somebody, they're 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 they own their own home. They've got an extra few extra dollars in the bank. Uh, they know that they can put a five percent down payment um, or up to twenty. And I, you know, I always suggest to do twenty so you save some money up front with uh, you know, CMHC and um, investment uh, or um, in, uh, that type of insurance. Um, so, but um, what I do is I, I talk to them about income investments. Are you looking to um, to get an income? From this property um, so that you have some more monthly income coming in are you looking to um, 
which would be which would be a rental property. So we're going to talk about you know buying a property and renting it out and getting an income from it. We can also talk about uh, whether or not there's a situation where they can uh, buy a property and fix it up and flip it. There's a lot of those. People sit down and go, well, that's what I really want to get into. I want to get into fix up and flip. Well, do you know anything about construction? Well, no, I don't, but I can always hire somebody to do that. Or I saw this video on YouTube and these people are going around and they're buying these properties. They have no idea what they're doing, but they hire somebody to do it. Okay, well, well let's talk about that because there's got to be enough um, you know, when you're doing a fix up and flip, you're, you're going to go into costs associated with it. And if you're not doing it yourself, there's a higher cost. And, you know, so you got to go through those sort of things. So you're talking about fix up, fix up and flip properties and making sure that's right for them or rental properties, uh, which can provide an income. And in other cases are, is just an equity of, or uh, an increase in, um, uh, increase in value, you know, increase in equity, um, in terms of, um, Purchasing, let's say, a, a condo property that rents out for $1,800 a month and it costs $400,000, you put 20% down, it just covers the cost of the condo. And maybe you're paying a little bit, uh, you know, maybe you're out of your pocket, you're paying $200 for condo fees or something like that. But in the end, the increase in value has uh, has made you the money over the 20 years. So um, there's that type. So those are the specific, like, I always find that it's either a fix up and flip person or an income property person that, uh, uh, that comes up um, in conversation uh, when it comes to those sort of things. And um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with the fix and flip then. Yeah. So what, what kind of person is ideal for that situation? Because as you mentioned before, especially with all these love it and list it type shows and everything you, yeah. you, that have been cropping up over the past five or 10 years and such too, a lot of people probably say, hey, that, that looks easy. I could probably do that. But I guess the reality is, like you said, not everyone is the handy person that can do a lot of this stuff themselves. So maybe they don't have the time. Uh, so maybe they think they can hire someone to do it. But that obviously, like you said, changes the cost analysis of the situation too. Oh. Also, a lot of it depends on the market. I'm up in Kingston. And I know my um, my sister and brother-in-law were talking about doing this in Kingston, but the, the home values are so low that the, the, the amount you get out of renovation to the property value just isn't really worth it in some in, in smaller markets, right? Um, yes. So once they did the, the 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 planning for it and like the the cost benefit analysis, they realized okay that this just doesn't make sense. But in a market like Toronto or Vancouver, where you know home values are so much so much larger, uh, doing this renovation and flipping can be a much more beneficial situation. So what, yeah. what are your, what, what, what do you look at, I guess, when you're trying to say, okay, maybe this is a good idea renovating and flipping, or maybe it isn't for you. Like, where do you start with that? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Th that whole segment of Renault and flip, I could go into it like a whole <laughs> two hours on it because really, I mean, I've dealt with uh, clients that came to me and, um, I have specifically have one that came to me and she said, she said, I just spent, um, and she spent $5,000 to go to a seminar from somebody from the U.S. that came up here to teach the whole system of how to do this, fix and flip. So and they went into the – they actually took the group. This is a $5,000 seminar. They took the group as one of the day trips to Home Depot to show them all the different materials they would need and all the different prices of things that they're going to need to spend money on and stuff like this. It was, it was incredible. Um, so and they, you know, in the end, I said, listen, cut your losses. Because one, you're not, you don't have any, any knowledge at all about fixing up a property. So you're going to be using um, contractors. And I said, second of all, I just, I looked into the whole, the whole thing is they're going to loan her the money in order to purchase the property, do the flip. And if it doesn't sell within, I think it was within 30 days, 
the interest rate of 6% they loaned on goes to like 30%. It was a big time shyster type deal here. So I got her out of that and I got her into an income property where she was more comfortable. Um, so yeah, rentals are not necessarily for everybody. Um, but I got to tell you, in the last two years, it's been lucrative for certain people because of the increase in value. I mean, going up 30% last year alone, you didn't even have to rent the, the property. You could have just gone in there and done a paint job and made 30% on your invest or a lot more than 30% on your investment, 30% on the house value. And your investment's only 10% down or whatever you put down on the property. So it was quite an, uh, quite a good market to do that. So, But there is risk involved, and you have to make sure that they understand that you know market could fall out tomorrow too. Yeah, it does seem like it's that high-risk, potentially high-reward situation. Um, but yeah, like you said, I guess you have to make sure you've got the expertise for it. But if you get a, the right property, and I guess that's part of it too, is getting the right property for the right price. Um, like, like you said, a fresh coat of paint can do it. Like I know I've seen many statistics about the the, the best place to invest in, in renovating is just, just like like you said, a fresh coat of paint gives you sure. like the best return for your dollar and such too. And maybe it's just a matter of staging it and painting it and and making it look nice and flipping it that way. But um, yeah. yeah, so is is this strictly should this be for people who are maybe handier or have some construction experience too or like does it make sense in a lot of cases to pay someone to do the renovations for you and still like is that uh, is that a viable way of going about this renovating and flipping as well hey if the market was like it was in the last two years absolutely you could pay somebody it wouldn't be a problem you, you could in certain markets certain areas you know location 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 so i always tell people listen you know buy a house and at the price make sure you're in a location that dictates a high ceiling of uh of eventually or return when you sell the property but um yeah i mean uh, obviously, in the past, I would say in the past eight years, let's say the eight years that I was in real estate prior to this two years of craziness, um, you know, typically if you're doing your own rentals, it would make sense. But if you weren't and you're paying for somebody and you want to make a flip six months later, you know, it really was tough to make any major profit on it unless you did it really effectively. So you've got to be careful with it. And, um, you know, people usually in the first two, you know, figure out the things that make um, a big difference. You know, some people really want to put the quality in it. And I'm like, you know what, an Ikea kitchen would be better 10,000 instead of 50,000, you know, save yourself the 40 and put it in your pocket because the person purchasing that house won't know the difference. So, you know, little things like that make a big difference. Yeah. And I guess that's it. You, you also have to have just not just the idea of what you want to get out of it, but just a little bit more real estate acumen too, to know where to spend the dollars as well, I guess, would could potentially make the difference between making a lot of money or, or maybe even losing money on a renovation and flip as well. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, well, let's talk about the, I guess, I want to say safer route, but maybe the, the lower risk route, the income property then. So yes. if renovation and flipping isn't for you, which seems like it's a little bit harder to potentially get into that, income properties seem, at least to me, to be an easier route. But obviously, mm-hmm. it's more of a long term. Uh, you get the, the the income coming in. You're paying down a mortgage. You're also potentially getting the, the increase in value on the home, uh, especially if you're look, looking at like a long term uh, investment mm-hmm. here. So. Is, is income property generally the advice that you give people? And I mean, I guess that's kind of a loaded question too, because there's a there's a spectrum yeah. of income properties too. It's not just like you know you, it is or it isn't. There's there's different demographics, different areas, different locations you can look at, and everything too. So yes. when we're getting to the income I, property question, where do we start there? You know, take your top four. I guess I would um, narrow it down to the top four different ways that uh, you can you can direct them in income properties. Um, you take uh, my brother-in-law who just purchased a property up in Collingwood that's going to be per, uh, it's going to be bought, built in two years. He's going to rent that out to you know um, retirees. 
up in Collingwood's a condo, right? So I think it's $300,000 condo up in Collingwood he's going to rent out eventually. So there was a, a good opportunity there. Um, uh, let's say student rentals in Barrie, you know, I, that's an area that is north of me that has a college in it. So I would, everybody knows their own area. So everybody knows demographically or as well, you know, geographically where there is good pockets of good investments. So you could sort of tailor your four top investments in your areas for return and show them the risk associated with all four, as well as your your the money out and the and, and the potential return. So you got to almost provide a report for them of the different types of income properties. The the wealthy barber would say uh, in his book that you buy one a year for ten years, and um, and there's a lot of different tricks and stuff like that with it. But um, you're buying condos in the same building, so it's easy to manage. There's no uh, there's less less risk. Uh, less overhead in terms of maintaining all in the same building. You know the condo corporation. You trust it. Um, you're putting, let's say, uh, somebody in there. It's a, it's a typically an elderly build building for retirees and um, you know the elderly. So um, they're gonna you know just turn over every five years. So you're not having to do leases every year. That sort of thing. So there's those type of incomes. But every area has it. We have an area in town that's um, rent top and bottom. $2,500 a month is what you're going to get in income. The cost you $400,000. You'll put your 20% down to save fees, and uh, and you'll make an income off of that. But it is typically lower income. You're going to be dealing a little more with the headaches in terms of social issues and you know um, domestics and stuff like that that could happen within that. Or even lower income, meaning you're taking you're getting your check from the government. So. What I would suggest is you look at your area, break it into four op options for somebody and say, here's my top four. I think you'd fit nicely in this one and give some advice on why that's the case. And if you do your homework and you prov provide a report for somebody like that with your, I mean, it's, it's an easy sell because they're like, wow, you really know, first of all, your stuff. We have trust in that. And, you know, we're, we're going to go into this open, open eyes, right? Yeah, well, for sure. So what are the, the potential pitfalls here? Obviously, there's things like you could have a vacant property for an extended period of time. That would be an issue. Um, maybe bad tenants and such. Like what 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 would maybe detract someone from going this income property route? I guess also the, the time sink too that it could potentially be if you're if you're managing a property yourself, especially if it's it's more short-term rentals that are getting through it, right? If, if you're having to renew leases every year, like you said, if you're in a yeah. student area, you might be doing – if you've got a student house, it might be like six, seven <laughs> individual leases yep. you're dealing with. On a, on a regular basis too. Maybe you're dealing yep. with, uh, like bad, like I said, bad tenants, you know, damage yep. to the property, uh, um, maintenance, that kind of thing. When I first got into real estate, I bought a, um, an income property that was six rental units within a house and, um, and it was for university or college. And, um, and over the five years, I was also getting into the real estate industry. So I was selling houses. And I was consistently dealing with issues, having to go up to the property and deal with um, you know, whether it be not payment uh, or, you know, somebody put a hole in a wall or somebody's complaining, somebody complains to the town, you know, uh, all these sort of issues. Not to mention, I made the mistake in having a pool in that property <laughs> for students that, uh, that go to college. So there was some insurance risk that uh, that I didn't calculate. So uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more educated now and I'd never would have put myself in that position had I had done a risk assessment from the beginning. Um, so some of the pitfalls, obviously, um, yeah, rental, rental, um, rent, not rental rates, rental rates are fairly consistent in our area, but 
I would say vacancy, you know, um, headaches of dealing with issues, um, some landlord tenant stuff that you're going to need to sharpen up on and, and learn the landlord tenant laws to make sure you're doing things professionally and properly. Um, so that, yeah, there's a bit of a, and I, in the end sold it after five years. And the reason why I sold it is because the time money scenario where I only had one rental property didn't make any sense for me to spend any more time on this. Um, when I was selling properties, making more money selling, you know, the time I spent selling properties. So that didn't make any sense. So we sold it. Um, but if I would still obviously get back into the rental market, um, because I think it's, I still think it's a great market. It's just, I wouldn't buy maybe one of those for what I do for a living. Yeah. And that being said, um, I live in Kingston, which is near Queen's University, and I've got a friend who, coming out of school, that's what they've been doing now. It's their career is is managing several uh, mm. rental properties uh, for students, and they swear by it too. Because um, at the mm. time, the, the the property values were low. They have uh, pretty much a hundred percent tenancy rate too. And the nice thing about this is that you don't really have. Well, maybe I'll have problem clients or problem uh, tenants, tenants, but they're going to be out in a year or two, right? Like none yeah. of these people are going to be stuck with you for a very, very long time. So I guess sure. there are advantages to this too. There um, is. So it, it, like you said, it, it depends on your on your situation and everything as well. Um, and I think the fact that they have more than one and that's their source of business mm-hmm. and that is a business for them, that's different. Mm-hmm. My my focus can't be on that if I'm selling houses oh, for to sure. other people. And yeah, it's, it was a pain in the butt, but you yeah, know, for some people it's the right, right solution. And that's where we just get into the whole profiling bit too, is, yeah. is what their, per, these, the, whoever you're talking to, the, what their long-term plan is, is it just one property? Is it many? What are they looking to do with it and everything too? Um, right. yeah. So we, you talk about doing your own area. Um, I believe it was Kevin Stanley was on this show several months back and he swore by like just finding like across Canada, just finding like a location that might have very low property values and high rental rates, high tenancy rates as, as an income property too. Is this something you'd ever recommend to somebody or is this a very like a niche um, situation here where you might suggest something like that to someone as well? Because, you know, if you're doing a, a cost benefit analysis, obviously you want the the smallest amount of initial investment um, and the, the largest amount of monthly income coming back. And maybe that isn't in your area too. Obviously there's the downside so, that you can't be there to manage it, but I don't know. Do you ever, was that something you'd ever consider uh, telling a client that might be a good way to go about it? We might, we might have to start that over. That okay, part. sure. Sorry, I, I couldn't hear the half of it, so I didn't know what the question was. <laughs> oh, no problem. I saw the little thing come up saying Skype was having an issue too. Okay, so we had Kevin Stanley on the show several months back, and one thing that he suggested was not necessarily purchasing property in your area for uh, income property rental purposes, but potentially looking in other areas across Canada even. I think he specifically mentioned some place that he was investing in in New Brunswick, and I think he's he's from out west. So this this is very far away from where, where he's locally based, but he identified the area saying, okay, it's got very low property values, very high rental rates, very high tenancy rates. So the business there made sense. Obviously, there's the downside of not being able to visit the property on a regular basis. Um, but is this a situation that you might recommend yeah. to people too, depending on what their situation is? Obviously, might, the, the absentee yeah. landlording is a bit of a difficult situation, but maybe you can comment on that. 
Sure. No, it's uh, it's absolutely, and I'm I'm considering it myself in in one area actually out near uh, Woodstock, and um, in Ontario, their property values. And now I haven't checked it in the last year, but uh, their property values were uh, relatively low uh, for what you can get. And um, the reason why I was considering that was because I I was networking amongst other real uh, real estate agents, and there was a Century Twenty One office out that way, and. He uh, he told me all about. It. He says that you know, a good portion of my business is looking after um, my clients purchasing these properties. That I have somebody actually not only put somebody in the property, they maintain the property. They when anything goes wrong, they look after it for like ten percent, something like that. So, and I think ten percent of your let's say monthly uh, rental will go to the maintenance company who will look after everything. I basically can buy a house. Um, have it maintained, managed, and everything for me, and never have to actually even go see the house. Like, I mean, it's amazing. He, like, I think he was talking figures around two hundred fifty thousand for for the for a house, and the rental rates are around eighteen to two thousand a month. And that's just that's a great that's a great investment. So he was saying he did it for a lot of clients. So. I almost just wanted to hand over my uh, credit card and say, hey, go buy me a house out there and <laughs> just do it for me. Um, but you want to do your research. So, but no, that's definitely an option. Absolutely. You must have a really nice credit card limit if you can buy a house on a credit card. <laughs> I wasn't going to uh, hand him my bank account. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, property management. I guess that's the way to go as well, especially if you identify a, a location that this makes sense. Because, you know, being, I know you're in the Toronto area, the housing prices are very high. It's, it's, it's maybe yeah. very cost prohibitive to get into the, to the investment property market in, in the Toronto area. So maybe this is a case where like, mm-hmm. Hey, I don't have enough money to put down a down payment on that house in my area. Maybe I can look in other areas and, and, and go about that route. And it sounds like like this agent that you're talking about from Woodstock has a pretty good system in place. I imagine others do as well too. So maybe that's something that you could connect with another agent, I guess, from a different, a different area through, through whatever means. Is this, is this a good way to go? I guess networking and and finding this agent in the first place was a great find for you. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to call an agent and say, well, what do you have in your area? Tell me what the systems are like up there. They'll make something up. Like something yeah. like they'll just say, oh, I'll get you a system. No problem. Buy this house, do this. Yeah, and yeah. that's fine. I actually, he came, he just told me about it and he says, I've been doing it. So, I mean, to have somebody have a past track record and history of doing it for other clients gave me confidence in knowing that this is what they do in that area. I just don't want somebody to go and buy me a house and rent it for me. I want a system. I want something that's, you know, proven. And that I don't, I can set it and forget it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's another question too. Like if, what if you don't have potentially enough capital to, to put the down payment on a house, but you do want to get into real estate investment. Do you have any options there? Oof. Um, so no major, so no down payment. Well, maybe not, maybe you don't have like 50,000 to a hundred thousand dollars to put down towards down payment, but maybe you've got 10 to $20,000 that you want to invest in real estate. Is there anything you can do with that route or, or what would you tell a client like that? Make his real estate just not maybe the the best route for them. I'm just, I'm just trying um, to think about the barriers. Yeah. I mean, it may be a difference of, okay. Yeah. If you don't, if you only have, if you're under 50,000 in Toronto, good luck, yeah. but you, you might point them towards Woodstock. You might point them towards Barry. You might point you, different areas that you know of that where the values are lower. You can also point them towards a very good, um, mortgage, uh, broker, you know, somebody who really can pull some strings with, uh, getting you a decent mortgage at a decent price. Remember borrowing money has never been cheaper. 
So if somebody can still loan you money at 5% or 6% with no money down or something or 5% down or even less, or you're in a situation where you're self-employed and you need to pay a higher rate, it's not the end of the world. It's only for three years, five years, whatever you sign for. And at the end, you can roll that into a cheaper mortgage rate down in the future. You just have to do a cost analysis and see whether or not, um, you know, pay, having somebody pay down your mortgage is, is better than paying 6% interest. And if it is, then it makes sense. So that might be an option too. There, there's lots of lending institutions and private lenders and stuff that will lend money based on low money down. I don't know about no money down. A lot of them <laughs> you know, are difficult, but low money down might be the the answer used to be when I got into the industry 10 years ago for 11, 12 years ago, whatever it was, um, you could borrow with nothing, nothing down 40 year AM. It was incredible, but it's not like that anymore. What about like over leveraging too? Is that something oh, that yeah. you have yeah. to be concerned about? Oh, obviously clients might maybe get, get like, you know, all like golden eyed about this. They think it's the best thing in the world. They start, they want to leverage everything they've got towards uh, real estate investment. Like, is there, do you ever have to pump the brakes on, prospective clients do saying like maybe should start slow well yeah and you have to look at the portfolio and see whether or not they're over leveraging themselves in one area so the whole idea of having a portfolio is that you have different investments in different areas and you don't want to over leverage in just one area so you do want to make sure that uh, if the stock market goes down don't worry I've got real estate investments that are going through the roof or if the real estate market goes down don't worry I've got you know mutual funds or I've bought lots of gold you know gold bars are sitting in my bank <laughs> or sitting in a, in a vault somewhere or something. I don't know. But, you know, there's lots of people that are um, investing in different areas, and it's just good to, to know that they're not over over leveraged in certain areas. But now that you mentioned leveraging, leveraging is a, is a huge thing. I mean, they talked about that in investment a lot. Leverage your, you know, what you have in your home, your home that you own, you know, taking borrowing on what you, you may not have a lot of people don't have liquidity to do this, but they can borrow on their 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 homes and different things. So yeah, your quality was starting to degrade there a bit. Do you want to just maybe we'll give it a second for this to kind of catch up here and maybe start that segment again? Sure. Sure. Uh, I hear my cat coming too. Yeah, I'm still getting a little bit of choppiness on your end. Am I? Oh, okay. Yeah. I think maybe it was because something was coming through here. I had somebody trying to get through on something else. I think it was my, oh, you know what? You get that Apple iCloud and then if somebody calls through it. Anyway. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it seems to actually be better now. Um, so Go we're talking about leveraging. That. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things that you can do is uh, look to leverage your house um, or um, even get a partner involved or, you know, and convince um, – I mean, when I first uh, got it and I did buy the income property, I did have a partner do that with me. So sometimes, you know, there's somebody else out there looking to make some, uh, you know, partnerships or often sinking ships, but I got a good partner. So um, <laughs> it was a good, it was a good uh, um, uh, you know, good scenario, but it's not always for everybody. But there's uh, different opportunities. Um, your, your house um, is one of them. You know, if you do have some um, some space in, in terms of uh, equity in your own home that you can use that to leverage. They always talk about leverage when it comes to investments. So um, leverage one thing, but you don't want to over leverage. So everything's maxed out, especially just in real estate. You have to have some, some other investments as well, you know? So do you have any kind of closing advice before we maybe, I guess there's one other thing we want to talk about before we close out, but um, just in general, like um, do you have any closing yeah. advice for everybody? 
Um, you know, in terms of, I, I think you know, we've said it through the whole, uh, the the whole, um, um, the whole the whole podcast is the fact that we you really have to do a proper assessment and look um, at the whole situation before you make an, a decision. I didn't I didn't quite get it when um, I did an investment uh, course um, through Aria. And I didn't quite get it what he meant by, you know, not everybody wants a high cap rate, they called it at the time, right? So with commercial investment, nobody, not everybody wants a huge uh, return on their investment. I'm like, what are you talking about? Everybody wants to make money. The one that makes the most money must make sense, right? So he said, no, no, like for every, everybody has a different risk and a different situation and a different portfolio and all those sort of stuff. So in the end, just make sure that, uh, yeah, you, you take everything into account before you make any decisions or give any advice. And that sounds like pretty sound advice to me. Um, so before we sign off to one thing we did want to touch on too, because it's come up a little mm. bit more recently was, was the short term rental situation. So if you do have an income property, uh, for whatever reason, if you do consider something along the lines of Airbnb, what uh, kind of pitfalls are we encountering now, especially in the, the condo market in Toronto? With That's funny. I, I figure I'm so, I figure I knew everything about technology, all this kind of stuff, all these different websites, but things pop up all, all over the place. And a while ago, somebody asked me, um, oh, you know, the Airbnbs. I said, what's an Airbnb? And they, what? You don't know what an Airbnb is? Anyway, so Airbnbs are these short-term rentals um, that people are, um, let's say, it, there's different reasons why they use them. But let's say you you own a house and you're going away for a month. Um, you can go on this website um, and put your house up for rent for that month. And essentially, they, they call it Airbnb, like bed and breakfast. But it's it's actually, you know, somebody staying in your house for a month and you rent it out. But it's turned into quite the phenomenon and it's happening across all major uh, cities where now investors are looking at purchasing property specifically to rent out to Airbnb. So somebody comes in tonight, leaves tomorrow, comes in for a week, leaves next week, and um, it's causing some um, disruption within the real estate industry. And it was actually the reason why we, uh, we were talking about doing this show on investment. But uh, um, with regards to what's happening, I do want to make sure people are, understand that this is changing the way that um, condominiums specifically are handling um, and there was, uh, are handling their condominium corporations. So there was something in the paper recently about um, a decision that was made that now condominiums can put in their corporation, in their status certificate, in their rules and regulations that um, short-term rentals are not allowed in the building. So people who have purchased for short-term rentals are no longer going to be allowed to do this. So an agent came to me in the office the other day and said, uh, I rented, uh, my person needed something to rent for four months. And the person, the landlord that uh, rented it to to us, um, you know, we signed a document four months and everything. We're moving in on Friday. We called to book um, the elevator. And the condominium corporation is not allowing us uh, access to the elevator to move in because we're a short-term rental. And of course, this is a signed legal document. The landlord has to give access to the property and this isn't what's happening. So it's becoming a bit of a nightmare. So what's happened there is they put this Airbnb clause, we'll call it, in the, in the rule and the status for no short-term rentals. And sure enough, now they're taking that and they're saying, well, no short-term rentals at all. Like no Airbnb, no, you know, uh, rent it for six months. It has to be a year lease. And that is going to change how we do business. And uh, we have to make sure that we're representing our buyers or tenants properly, uh, as well as our landlords, and uh, make sure that people realize that if they have that in there, um, there may be issues. So, you know, we'll have to be ty typing new clauses and new new things to put in offers to protect our ourselves from that. 
It almost sounds like the Uber of uh, rental properties and such, and there is that kind of pushback from the industry. It's too bad in this situation, too, that you outlined as well, because it almost seems like that clause is uh, being used not really in the spirit. Like a four-month rental is not really the same thing as like a weekend or a week-long rental uh, when you talk about short-term rentals. I guess technically it falls under the category of short-term for the pro- the purpose of uh, this condo corporation's uh, bylaw. But but still, I mean, it, it is unfortunate that, that, that you – your fellow agent is getting kind of tagged in this unfortunate situation as well. But like you said, something to be aware of, if nothing else, yeah. that if someone is in this situation that maybe they're not even using Airbnb, but like you said, like it's just a four, four month or less than a year lease, this could be an issue in, in some condos now. So, mm. And to get yourself out of trouble, you may have to uh, sign a one-year lease with a side agreement to allow them to get out within four four months, but you just, you know, you just never know who, who's going to stop you from using the elevator for all things. Like yeah. that's how they're holding you accountable is they're saying, sorry, we won't, we will not let you use our elevator to move in unless you show us a document that says it's a one-year lease. Craziness. I guess that agent's going to be hiring some uh, good movers like walking up and down stairs. Then. Hopefully it's not. <laughs> it's only six flights. They said, oh, yeah, it's okay. I'll carry it up. <laughs> uh-huh. Six flights isn't too bad. Some kind of feelings would be a pain in getting up like 20, 30 floors. Oh, my God. Uh, so let maybe we'll stop the show there. Then we've got had a pretty good show, I think. Um, so if you like the show, subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts online. And please don't forget to leave us a five star review on those sites because it really does help. You can watch this and past shows at spotlight.century21.ca/podcast. If you need to reach us, you can email us anytime at podcast at homania.com. That's podcast at h o m as in Mary, e a n as in Nancy, i a dot com. So this podcast was brought to you by the Spotlight Marketing Program, an exclusive marketing package available only to Century 21 agents in Canada. Spotlight provides agents with a comprehensive internet marketing strategy for their listings. We provide high-quality HDR photography, stunning HD video tours, a cutting-edge responsive website, and an extensive advertising system that will help sell your listings faster, sell them for more money, impress your clients, and generate leads. Find out why so many top agents are using Spotlight by visiting spotlight.century21.ca today. Aaron, thanks for hosting again. Everybody, thanks for watching. Have a great week. Thanks, Lance. Take care.